Hello, and welcome to As We Wait, an in-depth, verse-by-verse study of the entire Bible, led by pastor and teacher Mike Scanlon of Calvary Chapel, Susanville, California. Let's join Mike as he focuses on chapter 10 in our study of the New Testament Gospel of John. We have a few moments before we begin, so let's get our Bibles and notebooks and prepare our hearts and minds to receive the Word of the Lord. I don't know about you guys, but I've looked back at the many, many, many times when God sent someone to talk to me, when God orchestrated events in my life to draw me to himself. Even though I was ignorant and living in the world, all these different things, I look back at times and I look at, wow, God, you pursued after me. If someone tells me, and I'll walk, hey, man, talk to the palm. Or I walk, hey, man, how you doing? Forget you, man, I want to talk to you. Oh, okay. How many times are you going to take that kind of rejection One time, two times, 20 times. I mean, if you're a very patient person, 470 times, you know, whatever. And how many times do you have to be rejected by that when you finally go, you know what, forget you, or whatever, you know, have, you know, live your life and just walk away. And I don't know, I I can't count the times that I rejected the Lord, but I'm so glad the Lord didn't reject me, that he pursued after me, that he continued after me. And really, that's the context of this discussion. Because the Pharisees have already tried to kill Jesus twice. They've already called him an insane man. They've called him a thief. They've called him a liar. They've done all these different things because he's been healing people in ways that they don't like. But do you see Jesus walking around, well, talk to the palm tree, so you know, buddy, you're going to burn. No. Jesus continues in this discussion. He's still trying to kind of help them understand that he is God, that he is the shepherd, that he is the one that they're really kind of looking for if they scratch a little deeper. I love the fact that our God is tenacious and that he loves us so much he doesn't give up on us. I don't know about you guys, but that makes me feel special. That makes me feel loved. That makes me understand that God, it wasn't a flippant thing with God. It wasn't like, oh yeah, well, we'll see what happens. No. God orchestrated events so that each one of us would come to know him. You know, the doorkeeper, the Old Testament prophets, those that foretold what would take place. I like John the Baptist, the forerunner and the herald, and the Holy Spirit who opens the door into our hearts. Again, these sheepfolds that were in the city, and again, it was an issue of the sheep recognizing the shepherd's voice. And they responded. When they heard the shepherd's voice, what happened? What did they do? Did they just lay there and bleat, come get me, come get me? No, he stood at the door, and he called them out. And they came out of wherever they were, whatever religion or ism or mindset or philosophy, and they responded to the voice of God. And what they do? They begin to walk after the voice of God, begin to pursue after the shepherd. And we've got to be careful that we don't get so sedentary or set in our ways and our traditions that we just kind of go, well, this is how it's done. We've got to be open. We've got to be teachable as a Christian. Jesus said that men will know that you're my disciples by they have love one for another. That's true. But one of the things is we've got to be willing to do life differently because of Jesus. We've got to be willing to do something different because most of us, when we get right down to it, why do we come to Jesus? 
Because our lives were messed up. Because our lives were thrashed. Because we were in charge. And look what we did with it. And some people go, well, I accept the Lord. And they just keep living the way they would normally do things. And it's like, well, do you expect a different result? I mean, put a Christian stamp on it? No. When we come to the Lord, He's the Lord and we're the servant. He's the one that's large and in charge. And we just say, how high do you want me to jump, Lord? Which way do I go? And listen for his voice, and he'll guide us. And I like this, that he calls his own sheep by name. He knows our name, and they know his voice. You know, when Jesus was crucified, and he died on the cross, he was buried, and on Resurrection Sunday, remember Mary is one of the first women at the tomb. And she's looking around, oh no, they've, they've swiped the body. And she turns to the gardener, and she didn't recognize him. And he goes, sir, where'd they put my Lord? I'll, I'll get him kind of thing. And at that point, Jesus says to her, Mary. What happens? She responds, Rabboni! Because he spoke her name, and she recognized his voice. And all of a sudden, she realized he's alive. What a day. What a day. You know, in Samuel, one of my favorite stories is about Samuel the prophet when he's a little kid. You know, you go through all the whole story with Hannah, and how she couldn't have kids, and all these different things. But... In 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 1, it says, And the child Samuel ministered unto the Lord before Eli. And the word of the Lord was precious. It was rare in those days. There was no open vision. In other words, Eli wasn't teaching the people the word of God. His sons were doing the same thing. They were kind of fleecing the flock too. And it says the word of God was rare. It was precious. And even to the point in 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 3, And ere the lamp of God went out in the temple. In other words, the things of God were being neglected including his word. And then I love is that chapter progresses because one night Samuel is a little boy and he's laying there in bed and hears Samuel, Samuel. And he gets up thinking it's Eli and he runs down the hall or wherever he went. Yes, sir, here I am. And waking Eli up, he goes, I didn't call you. Go back to bed. Little kid, okay, back down the hallway, clunk, in bed, falls asleep. Samuel, Samuel. And he gets up again, runs to Eli. And as Eli, I didn't call you. And then the third time, Eli figures it out. He goes, hold it. Somebody's calling this kid. And so God used Eli. He wasn't the perfect guy. He says, next time you hear that voice, say, Lord, here I am. Your servant's listening. And so, again, the voice, Samuel, here I am, Lord. Your servant is listening. And God began to speak to Samuel. And Samuel is one of my favorites. He's like one of my heroes in the Bible. But Samuel becomes this terrific man of God, a prophet of God. And he lives a godly life, and he does a lot of awesome things. And I like it in 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 21. And the Lord appeared again in Shiloh. For the Lord revealed himself to Samuel in Shiloh. How? By the word of the Lord. That's how God revealed himself to Samuel, through his word. But did Samuel know right off the bat? who it was that was calling him, who was speaking to him? No, he didn't. He had to learn. He had to, in a certain sense, be taught. And God used an instrument, a man, to help him hear and to discern God's voice. But later on we read that basically Samuel gives the word of God to everybody else. God used Samuel like a funnel. He poured it in and Samuel kind of gave it out. And the nation was ministered to. The nation received the word of God once again. But it's kind of a learned thing at times. How do you hear the voice of God? And one of the ways, one of the surest ways to hear the voice of God is to ask God to speak to you. If you've got a question in your life or an issue that you're dealing with, 
And I say, Lord, I, I need you to speak to me. I need you to guide me. And I give him a specific question. You know, Lord, talk to me about world peace. Talk to me about, you know, no, I get kind of specific with God. And when I get specific with God, it's amazing because sometimes I'll open up my Bible and I'll be doing my devotions and a verse, and sometimes even out of context, will just leap out at me and God speaks to me about my question. And he answers me. And that's uh, honestly how I have changed jobs. I have changed vocations. I've moved places. I've done stuff because God has spoken to me. And the beauty of it is, when you hear God's voice and you know it's God telling you to do something, when people ask you, they go, you're nuts, man. What are you doing that for? Well, God spoke to me. And I'm following my Lord. And they go, well, how do you know? I said, well, uh, I got this scripture, and, or I got a bunch of scriptures. And, and they go, oh, okay. But then after a while, you look back and you go, man, there's a pattern here. And the way you hear, though, is through obedience. See, it's, a lot of people hear, I think, hear God's voice. They go, man, eh, I don't want to do that. Then they come to me sometimes and go, well, Pastor, I, 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 it's, I'm not hearing God. I'm, he's not speaking to me. One of my first questions is, what was the last thing he said for you to do? <laughs> well, about five years ago, he said, did you do it? Well, no. I, you know, it was inconvenient. It was bad timing. My job, this, that, the other thing, whatever. And so, no, I, I didn't really do that. And I said, well, why should he speak to you again if he already knows you're going to say no? Or why should he speak to you again if you haven't been obedient to do the first thing? My suggestion to you is that you pray and go back and do whatever it is he told for you to do and repent of that sin of disobedience and see what God will say. Because maybe he'll talk to you again. But see, God's got all kinds of time. He's very patient. (laughs) When he says, Mike, take out the trash, he'll wait. He'll wait. And eventually when I come around, you know, when you read through the Bible, it's really interesting. Abraham's a good case. If you read through the book of Genesis and read all about Abraham, you think that Abraham and God talk like every day. But there's like 25 years sometimes between the times that God spoke to Abraham and the next time he spoke to Abraham. Why is that? (laughs) Because Abraham was a knucklehead like us. (laughs) Sometimes we have to go back and think, well, what do you say? Now, it's interesting to me because, again, Jesus is describing the good shepherd. And, and I've gone off too much, I think, on, on the bad shepherds that aren't yielding themselves to God's word, the things that were being neglected and had not learned how to hear his voice. But the good shepherd leads the sheep out. He doesn't drive them or herd them or beat them. He leads them. He leads them out, may also refer to leading them out of the fold of Judaism into a different kind of dispensation with God or a different kind of a personal relationship with Jesus into the fold of Christianity, if you will. In verse 4, And when he puts forth his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. We're back to knowing his voice again. The shepherd leads his sheep out by example. And I like that. It's an interesting phenomenon. I didn't really realize this. I read this one book on Psalm 23. But most Western countries that have sheep, the shepherds drive them. If you see sheep along the I-5 corridor, you see big flocks out there sometimes, or if you go to different places, the shepherds are always behind the sheep, driving them where they want to go. They get on ATV, just move them around. I saw the same thing in Italy when I was there. There's actually some shepherds out in the field, but they were driving behind them, hitting them with sticks and making them go. But in Israel, it's still true today, shepherds are in front of the flock and the sheep follow the person. They follow the shepherd. Because... That's how God has always done it with us. You know, in Genesis chapter 7, verse 1, as Noah has built the ark and all these different things happen, what did God say? Get in the ark. 
Like we tell our kids, hey, we're going somewhere, get in a car. No. He said, come into the ark. That implies that God was already in the ark saying, come to me, you're going to be safe. Actually, it says in Genesis chapter 7, verse 1, And the Lord said to Noah, Come thou and all thy house into the ark. By leading the sheep, he does not ask them to go anywhere. He's not gone himself. And Jesus always goes before us. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. He is always out in front of the sheep as our Savior, as our guide, as our example. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 19, And he said unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Jesus doesn't get behind us with a sharp stick and say, Get going, get going. He just makes it real easy. What he does is, and it's kind of weird in a certain sense, he makes it easy to say no. See, if he's behind you, and he says, Go that way, and you say, No, who do you run into? Get going. Give him a bump's rush. No. He's out front. He says, Follow me. This is going to be really good. We have a choice at that point, to follow him. I go, nah, I'm going to go my own way. Just like it says in Isaiah, all we like sheep have gone astray. Different directions. But the Christian, the one that has submitted to their Lord, to their shepherd, the one that has learned to hear his voice and discern that voice from the many other voices out there that are calling. It's pretty weird. You ever been somewhere? And I've got a very common name. My name is Mike. Most of you know me. Hi, I'm Mike. And I've been at the market before, and someone goes, Michael! not my wife, and I jump. Because <laughs> sometimes it's like, when I was in trouble as a kid, it was, I was Mike until I was in trouble, then it was Michael. And, but sometimes, hey Mike! You know, five guys turn around, huh? And he's talking to the one in the crowd, but not me. And it's always kind of one of those weird things, but Jesus knows us, and we have to learn how to hear his voice, so when he calls, we respond. And I like that he's always out front, Now, in verse 5, it says, And a stranger will they not follow, but will flee from him. For the, no, not the voice of strangers. The same instinct that causes us to recognize the voice of the true shepherd also prompts us to flee from the voice of a stranger. I remember as a new believer, opening my door, and there's, you know, the Jehovah's Witnesses, the Church of Christ, the this or that ism, standing there with their pamphlets in hand and trying to talk me into some other kind of, you know, religion. And as a new believer, I did not, I was not equipped particularly. I was not grounded in the Word. I, I was not at that point a student in the Word. But as they were saying stuff, I just remembered, like, just in my mind kind of going, eh, this doesn't sound right. And just that you knew something's wrong about what they're saying, and you couldn't put your finger on, like, you know, chapter and verse, this is why it's wrong. But you just kind of knew. That's the Holy Spirit in us, giving us that check in the Spirit, that red flag, and that's the voice of a stranger. You ever been talking to somebody, even in a Christian environment, and they come up with something they're telling you about, and you're just kind of going, eh, I don't know. I mean, I've been in other conversations where people come up and they start talking, man, and they start laying out what they heard in a Bible study or this or that, and go, wow, that's awesome, you know. And your spirit confirms what their spirit's saying, and it's like, wow, yeah. And you have that fellowship. But there's other times, and I've experienced this more honestly in bigger churches or in other venues, where someone starts saying something, you just kind of go, man, that is messed up. And I think, what do you think? What do you think? And I don't know, man. It doesn't sound right to me. I may not be able to pinpoint it, but sometimes that's the cool part, though, when the Holy Spirit goes, Lord, that doesn't sound right. And he goes, oh, yeah. And he gives you a scripture. You know, 1 Corinthians, this or that. And you go, you know, the Lord just kind of put it in my heart. And you open up to that scripture. 
and you read that it's exactly the opposite of what that person just told you, and you go, well, somebody's right or wrong here, and God's word says, da 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 that must mean that, well, you must be the one that's wrong. Because <laughs> God's word is never wrong. And again, the voice of the strangers. Paul writes to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 11, 13-15, he says, For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. God will take care of that in the end. But how do we protect ourselves from this? Jesus said in John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32, If you continue in my word, you will be my disciples indeed, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The truth will set you free from, from death and hell, but the truth will set you free from the lies. You don't have to learn all the other false religions out there. You just need to know the truth. Read your Bible, and you'll be just fine. In verse 6, This parable spake Jesus unto them, but they understood not what things they were which he spake unto them. They just don't get it. So Jesus begins to explain it to them again. But my question is, why didn't they understand? I mean, these guys were smart, intelligent men. You didn't take guys that were like brainless and witless and make them the leaders of the country. These were smart people. Why didn't they get it? They didn't get it, number one, because they didn't want to get it. You know, there's that old saying, there's none so blind as those who refuse to see. And they were blinded by their own prejudices, by their own opinions, by their own traditions. But they blinded themselves. And they were spiritually discerned. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, he says, But the natural man, and he's talking about the, the non-believing man, the natural man receives not the things of the Spirit, the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can they know them, because they are spiritually discerned. When we accept Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, we're told in Corinthians that the Holy Spirit comes to live in us, that we have now, we're complete. We are body, we're soul, and we're spirit. And it's in the realm of the Spirit that we're connected to God. And because we're spiritual beings at that point, the Holy Spirit is living in us. He's like our automatic translator. You know, before you knew the Lord and you're reading the Bible, sometimes you just wouldn't understand. Or people talk about spiritual things, you're just going to go, man, that's stupid. It's funny. The things that we don't understand, is always stupid. <laughs> and we didn't understand it. But you know, when the Holy Spirit's in us, all of a sudden the Word of God means something. When the Holy Spirit is living in us, all of a sudden spiritual things matter. All of a sudden, because the Holy Spirit is in us, and it's like that, that spiritual translator, we can then begin to comprehend and to learn and to understand spiritual things. But the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the religious leaders of that day, just like, I believe, the religious leaders of today, some of them, because they're not born again of the Spirit, they don't understand or discern spiritual things. So when you talk to them, you may as well be speaking Russian or some other language. Because they're kind of going, "Uh you've all had those conversations where you're talking to somebody and you can tell they don't understand what you're talking about. Eyes roll in the back of their head. They're there. They're standing right in front of you, but they don't get a thing you're saying. But it's really cool when you're fired up about Jesus and you walk up to somebody and you make that connection with someone else that loves Jesus too. They could be absolute strangers or they can be people that you know very well. But all of a sudden, when you're talking about spiritual things, you're on the same spiritual page and the Holy Spirit's right there ministering and you both get amped up and fired up because you're 
Why? But you, you, have, you have the Holy Spirit teaching and guiding, reminding to the things that Jesus said. The religious leaders of the day don't have that advantage. But one of the things I love about this, and we're going to stop with this verse, look at verse 7. Then said Jesus unto them again, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. That word again, you can underline that in your Bible. Again, Jesus repeats himself for our benefit and for theirs. He didn't say, talk to them, well, fine, you don't pass, you know. To me, that's one of the, the sad implications of Reformed theology and Calvinism. Because if all that was true, Jesus would have said, well, obviously you're not one of the chosen, so see ya. You know, talk to the palm. But why did Jesus go back? Did he like debating? <laughs> no. Jesus said again because he loves them. Jesus said again because in a short time after this, Jesus would die on a cross for them too. He didn't just die for believers. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So that the whole world, that everyone that's been born on this planet, would have an opportunity to accept Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. And you think about the worst person. Jesus loved them, loves them. And in Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward. Can anybody say amen to that? Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so Jesus speaks once again to these men who've rejected him, to these men that would one day, in their own minds, succeed in killing him. And he would from the cross say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And I don't think they did know what they were doing. And I think about my own life before I knew the Lord. The many times that I told Jesus to talk to the palm or turn my back on him or, or said some smart, alecky remark, you know, like, <laughs> whatever, you know, and walked away. But he pursued after me. And I certainly won't begrudge it if he pursues after somebody else. I want as many people to come into the kingdom as possible. And I love the fact that our God doesn't give up on us. So this narrative will continue as we get into it next week. And again, I love the fact that Jesus begins to to point them to the way, to point them to the truth, knowing full and well that he is the truth. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father except through him, because he's the only way in, he's the only door, he's the only path. But aren't you glad you know him? Aren't you glad that each of us in different ways have come to that point in life and said, Lord, Lord, just that much. <laughs> the thief on the cross understood. Gracious Father, once again, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Father, for your faithfulness, Lord. We thank you for your tenacity. We thank you for the truthfulness of your word and the reliability of it, Lord. We thank you that your word is the anchor to our soul. Father, help us to know you better. Help us to draw closer to you. Help us, Lord, to be obedient to your word. We love you, Lord. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm here to find you. Reveal yourself to me. Well, that's all the time we have for now. You've just been listening to Mike Scanlon of Calvary Chapel, Susanville, California, expounding upon Chapter 10 in the Gospel of John. Please join us again next time as we continue our study through the book of John and the entire Bible. Won't you come, won't you come and fill this
As We Wait is an outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Susanville, California. We pray that you have been blessed and would like to invite you to join us in person. We meet at 450 Richmond Road, Sunday mornings at 8, 945, and 1130, Wednesday evenings at 7, and communion is celebrated the first Sunday of each month at 6 p.m. To get the entire study on CD, you can call the church office at 530-257-4833 or write to us at P.O. Box 1316, Susanville, California, 96130. For more information or to stream our services, you can go to www.ccsusanville.com. Until we meet again, may the grace and peace of the Lord Jesus be upon you. Come into this place.